listeners, welcome to People of Interest, where I discuss an individual in history who strikes my curiosity. I'm Jamie Arpian. Today I'm going to dive into the life of a man known by many names, his most famous being Osho. Osho was a spiritual figurehead of a New Age cult called the Rajneesh that originated in India and eventually migrated to Oregon. According to a website affiliated with the religion, Osho was born on December 11, 1931 in a small village named Kuchwada, in central India as Chara Mohanjan. He was the firstborn child of a large family that consisted of 11 children. His future followers stated that as a child, he always maintained an interest in religion and philosophical beliefs, questioning their practices and teachings. He even experimented with different techniques of meditation. All of this led to his choice of study for college, philosophy. Osho pursued quite the fulfilling academic career in his early years. After completing his studies, Osho eventually landed a job as a professor at a Sanskrit college in Rapur, before moving on to a better position at the University of Jalpapur. He ended up teaching in this position for eight years, from 1958 to 1966. However, he did not feel satisfied spending the rest of his life being a professor. You see, according to his followers, he had become enlightened back when he was only 21 years old. Osho felt the need to do something more, so he left his position and began conducting regular spiritual gatherings in large open-air spaces called medans all across India's major cities. He also started meditation camps where participants spent 10 days engaging in intensive meditation training. By the late 1960s, he was already profiting off of translating his talks into English. In 1970, Osho changed his name to Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, the name most of his original followers know him as. At the same time, he was known as the sex guru. This was due to one of the aspects of his teachings that included the idea that there is a conception of sex. Moreover, Osho considers it to be one step on the staircase of creative energy leading an individual to enlightenment. To him, everyone has the opportunity to experience a personal divinity through daily prayer and meditation. Therefore, sin and shame are not things to worry about. To further understand Osho, one has to understand his attitude towards religion. He viewed existing faiths as self-sacrificing and heavily condemned the idea that individuals should live for others. Rather, he believed Faith should be based on fulfilling the self, be it through enlightenment or wealth. Osho was not shy in promoting harboring riches. He is quoted stating, I am not a one-sided person. I am neither for the inner nor for the outer. I am for both together. One has to be rich inside and one has to be rich outside too. Richness is beautiful. Outer richness is beautiful just as inner richness is beautiful. Nothing is wrong in creating money. And it showed. In the early days of living on the ashram in India, Bhagwan owned a multitude of Rolls-Royce cars as well as expensive jewelry. He was never one to back away from accumulating wealth. His teachings continued to grow in popularity, drawing people from all over the world and from all sorts of backgrounds, from college-age people to doctors and lawyers. People would immerse themselves in the teachings of Osho. This led to the creation of the Pune Ashram in 1974 in Pune, India. It was a commune filled with his followers that provided their own way of life. People would take a Hindi name, 
dress only in shades of red or orange, and wore a type of necklace called a mala. Nevertheless, Osho consistently claimed they were not a sect or a cult, just a group of people centered around him in his philosophies. However, this changed in 1981. Now you might be wondering why Osho would move his successful religious commune to Oregon. There are two different narratives surrounding this decision. The first comes from his present-day followers who claim that he came to the U.S. in 1981 for medical purposes, and his American disciples just happened to purchase a 64,000-acre ranch in Oregon the same year and invited him to visit. This is what led him to wanting to stay in the U.S. with a permanent residence visa. However, the paper trail differs greatly from the story. You see, back in 1981, Osho decided to take a vow of silence. While doing so, he gave power of attorney to his new secretary, Shayla. The position of secretary in the Rajneesh is equivalent to the Pope for Catholics. She became the spokesperson and de facto leader. She was the only one Osho would still communicate with. While this power was coming into her hands, the religious commune was facing scrutiny from the Indian government. In future investigative reports, it was revealed the group had been evading taxes and were facing hefty jail time and fines. It was then Shayla came up with the idea of moving to the United States, especially since the country in question is known for its freedom of religion. In other words, the whole narrative that Osho was sick in the first place was a cover for this escape out of Indian authorities' hands. The move was successful. The Rajneesh purchased Muddy Ranch in central Oregon, just 19 miles from the closest town of Antelope. The development of Muddy Ranch was modified into what they now called Rajneesh Puram. They first built a multitude of A-frames to live in, but the expansion didn't stop there. What was at first what the locals thought would be a local farming commune quickly transformed into a city. They built their own shopping mall, filled with their own boutiques and diners, and there was even a medical facility, a school, and their own personal airport. However, at this point, Osho took a step back and let Shayla fully control decisions for the group. He would show up for festivals that drew Rajneeshas from all over the world, but at this point he became more of a reclusive figurehead while Shayla became the voice of power. As the commune grew larger rapidly, Tensions rose between the retirees of Antelope and the newcomers of Rajneesh Puram. Eventually escalated to an issue between Wasco County and the commune. Specifically, Sheila's need to be in control to the point of electing Rajneeshs into positions of governmental power. Nevertheless, it all came crashing down in 1984. Sheila had enjoyed herself as the leader of the Rajneesh over those four years, but she had become a paranoid woman. Osho had recently gotten close with Hollywood A-listers who bought him riches Sheila knew the commune could never afford to purchase for him. Furthermore, she discovered through wiretaps she planted in his house that Osho was inquiring about painless, dignifying deaths from his personal doctor. Sheila decided she was going to protect him no matter what, so she ordered one of her most loyal followers to murder his doctor. There was an attempt, but as Sheila and her group were fleeing the commune, the doctor was luckily able to survive. This enraged Osho. For the first time since 1981, he broke his silence. His first time speaking was televised live as he condemned Sheila for her actions. 
the religious leaders started exposing her for the nefarious deeds she had committed, such as poisoning people, ordering hits, and fraud. However, this would be the start of his own downfall. All these accusations gave the United States reason to start investigating Rajneesh Puram. They were finding evidence that the group was committing immigration fraud through arranging marriages in various states between an American citizen and a fellow foreign member of the Rajneesh. Once married, the two would ship back to Oregon as soon as possible. There, they would go back to their original partners and have little to do with their marriage partner. That was the tip of the iceberg. Those wiretaps that Shayla installed in Osho's house turned out to be everywhere. The investigation team on the case stated it would take an individual two years of 24-7 listening to comb through all the recordings Sheila left behind, and they were damning. Everything that Osho ranted about was true, and while Sheila was the main organizer, he was still a religious leader and knew what she was doing made him an accomplice. Now that Oregon's government had substantial proof, they could go ahead with swatting the commune, except that didn't happen. Their main target, Osho, had boarded one of the commune's private airplanes and took off. He slipped out of their grasp just before they could take him down. Eventually, they were able to track him and the individuals who escaped with him to Charlotte, North Carolina, and arrest him for unlawful flight. Following this event, he was transferred to an Oklahoma prison where they changed his name to David Washington to protect his identity as a high-profile prisoner. Finally, he was sent back to Oregon, where he was fined $400,000 and deported out of the United States and back to India. What is interesting is that if you read the followers' biography of Osho during this time period, all the blame is either put on Sheila or the government. They even go into detail about Osho's arrest, stating that it was done with an unlawful warrant, and utilize language implying he was not guilty at all. Moreover, their last statement on the whole debacle was that it was really the government's intention to destroy Rajneesh Puram due to a public statement made by the then-present U.S. Attorney General in Portland, who at one point was the target of one of their assassination plots. Despite being deported by the United States, Osho proceeded to go on a world tour, although he was banned from 21 other countries. He visited Nepal, Greece, Uruguay, and many more. However, once he stayed in one of these nations, he would soon be deported or his followers' visas would not be granted. He soon found out the only place he could go to was India. So on July 29, 1986, Osho finally returned to Mumbai. Osho adjusted back to life in India. He started leading and forming new techniques of meditation for the Rajneesh. By 1989, he stopped utilizing the name Bhagwan and only wanted to be called Rajneesh. His followers asked if they could call him Osho instead, which he accepted. His reasoning for the final name change was due to it sounding like oceanic and equating it to dissolving into the ocean. However, he also notes that Osho historically can mean the blessed one on whom the sky showers flowers. By the end of the year, he discarded the name Rajneesh altogether. Beginning in 1990, Osho became physically weaker. By January 19th, his pulse became irregular, and while his doctors offered to perform cardiac resuscitation, he turned them down, stating that he just wanted to be let go. That evening, he passed away. Osho started a religion that has survived past his death and still operates on an international level. 
they promote the teachings and meditation techniques he imparted with them. Hopefully, though, their more extremist days are over. If you want to learn more information about the cult and its previous activities in Oregon, I highly recommend either watching Oregon Public Broadcasting's documentary, Rajneesh Puram, or for a more dramatic narrative, Netflix's Wild Wild Country. Thank you for tuning in to People of Interest. This was Jamie Arpan, signing off. Thank you.